Well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about Christmas. It's a great time of the year to be able to celebrate, to see what God is doing. I'm excited about our new Christmas series, The Light, and what this is going to represent for us as a church as we begin to share the light with Southern Indiana and what that means. And that's our real hope, that's our real desire, to be able to tell our community around us of who Christ is and how important it is in our lives, in your life, in my life, and for a church, what we get to do and how we get to share. I'm glad you're here today as we'll be celebrating over these next several weeks. You see a lot of the different things, as uh, Ryan mentioned, the handout that we have so that you can take that, talk about that to your friends. You also today might have recognized our new bulletin or a piece of that for this month of December so you can know what's going on. There are lots of activities that are happening. One of those also is next week, the uh, the budget is available able to pick up. We'll be voting on that next week as a church. So lots of things that are going on around us, lots of good things that are happening. What an exciting place to be as we talk about the lights. I love Christmas, as I said, because it's a fun time. There's so many things happening. You look around and all the decorations and the lights outside, and man, you begin to think about the celebration. Uh, Maybe you've already gone Christmas shopping. Uh, For us, we also kind of sat in front of the computer and did some of that online, which I'm finding is like really like doing because it's just so much easier than fighting crowds of people. But either way, it's kind of fun to be out in the mall and kind of see people and see people going crazy over stuff. You know, that's kind of fun. Maybe you saw on the TV where in some place they had some ladies fighting over stuff or some guys fighting over stuff. That's a little much for Christmas, right? But because Christmas should be a fun time where we're having a good time together all the joyful times, all the kids that are doing things. And it's just a great time of celebration. It's a lot of fun. It's a good place to be. It's the best of times. Well, it's not always the truth, is it? It it can also be the worst of times. Uh, We know people that are in this congregation, in this building today, that are going through uh, some real physical problems, right? They're battling cancer and um, just what that's going to mean and what that looks like for the year 2020 for them. We don't even know. We know that uh, today there's a funeral going on of a family member passed away this week. Not such great times, uh, some very hard times. We have a pastor friend that uh, we uh, have been kind of watching over the last three years. His wife died three years ago with cancer near Christmas, and uh, he's just, again, you know, it, it comes back during this time of the year. You're there. You've been there. Maybe a parent has passed away or a friend of yours or a family member or whatever. And, and so it's, it feels like the best of times in some ways but at the same time, it feels like, man, these are the worst of times. How, how do you celebrate with, with families who are going through divorce, who are going through marital problems, who are having difficulties financially, uh, all those things. And, and so on the one hand, you've got the best of times. On the other hand, you've got the worst of times and all the struggling. Well, you know, that's not new for us. It's not new in the world. Matter of fact, today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, and we're talking just about that. We're talking about the promise of the light, the promise of the light coming for us, and what that means for us as followers of Christ, what that means for us as Isaiah gives this prophecy many years ago about the light who is promised. And if you turn in your Bible or your phone or uh, whatever you might have today or an iPad, whatever, by the way, on our app, if you go to our app, You can see at the bottom of the app now, it's been changed a little bit. It says Sunday. You just click on Sunday, and you can go right to sermon notes. You can write notes inside there. You can take notes there. Uh, The sermon notes are listed in there today. At least the points are already there for you if you want to look at that and and be a part of that. But we talk about 
uh, this passage, and we talk about Isaiah, as Isaiah was prophesying about the light that was going to come, what was going to happen in, the, in this best of times and worst of times. Matter of fact, if you look back a couple of chapters, uh, Ahaz has been king of Israel, and they have been struggling. The nation Israel has been struggling. They have been going through lots of problems. Ahaz, starting out as a decent king, uh, they thought they were going to be able to follow after God. Well, he, he kind of role reverses on them and takes them down the wrong path, right? As a nation, as a, as a people, they were heading the wrong direction. He goes off the scene, and here in this chapter, Hezekiah is becoming the king. Now, when the king of Israel came in, there was a great celebration. Of course, there would be any king of any country, and so they begin to celebrate. And so, if you were to look at this Old Testament passage, it had some connection to Hezekiah being anointed the new king of Israel. But Isaiah went beyond that, and the Lord gave him the prophecy of the ultimate king of Israel, which we know today of being Jesus. And so here we began to see the promise of the light that's going to come. So we're going to look at this passage, we're going to talk about what it means for us, and we're going to see this promised light that is before us, and the hope that this light is going to give to all nations. So if you have your Bible, whatever you might have that you're reading this morning, uh, would you stand with me as we start reading in Isaiah chapter 9? I'm going to read verse 2 through 7 of this passage. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shuttered the yoke, the burdens, the, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and it will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We pray that as Isaiah promises through his prophecy, the light of the world, that we might, through the reading of Scripture, be enlightened to Jesus even today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks, and you may be seated. Today I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, and there are four words that I want us to look at. There are four words that come out of this passage, and we're going to walk through these verses in a way that's going to help us to recognize that Isaiah was prophesying and what he was teaching us about his prophecy and the light that was coming. Let's start in verse 2, and we're going to look at this verse, and the word that we want to look at is the word redeemed or redeeming. That's what we find, redemption that has come out of this passage. In the second verse of the ninth chapter, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light 
has dawned. So in this passage, we begin to get the understanding that this light that's coming, this prophesied light that's going to come, is going to be the one who is going to bring redemption or purpose or bringing back the people to, who are living in darkness. That's what he begins by saying, the people that are walking in darkness. That's how they're defined, all the people around them. Now, in reality, it's talking about Israel, but Isaiah was really focusing our attention on all peoples, on everyone. We're going to see that actually in the next verse. He's going to help us to understand that the people are walking in darkness. We are walking in darkness before salvation comes in, before we are redeemed by the light. It's a great verse that helps us to understand because he says that we're walking in this darkness. Now, when you're, when you're walking in darkness, what usually happens? Well, if I'm walking in darkness, I'm usually stumbling along, right? I don't know where I'm going. I, I can't see what's in front of me. I can't see what's going to happen. So there's this stumbling effect that happens. And that really is a part of what Isaiah is teaching us, that when we are a people who are walking without the light, we are walking and we're stumbling through life. Now, you may know that personally. You may know how difficult it is sometimes to walk through life, to go through life, to get through life. Now, look at this verse a little bit deeper. Not only does he say that we are walking in darkness, but now he says in the next phrase below that, of those living in the land of deep darkness. Now, he, he puts that. Now, your translation might say a, a shadow of death. So here he goes, not just the idea of stumbling, but you're to the point of being totally consumed by this. And not only are you walking in it, but now he uses the phrase, maybe in your translation, it might say dwell in darkness. And the one I read, it says living in darkness. Not only are we, are we walking in darkness, stumbling around, but we are also living in deep darkness. And the only way out of stumbling in darkness, the only way out of living in this deep darkness is, says Isaiah, as he prophesies, as we know as believers in Christ, is the light that comes to Christ. The one who he says they have seen a great life. So the contrast now moves from being able to walk in darkness to be able to see the light. And that changes everything, right? When you flip on the light in a dark place, you're able to see everything. There's no way darkness is overtaking the light. There's no way that anything, as we're walking through life, the struggles of life, the problems of life, the hurts of life, the darkness that are in our li that's in our lives, the only way we're going to overcome that is to have redemption in Christ, who is the light. Jesus proclaimed that he is the light of the world. And here he tells us in this passage, the people are walking in darkness. They have seen a great light. They're living in the land of darkness. A light has dawned. What happens when a light dawns? It raises, right? When you get up in the morning and you watch the sun dawn, it's the coming up of the sun. Man, I love the Old Testament. Remember that the Old Testament always has it at its focus, Jesus. It is always pointing to Christ. It always does. So here in this passage, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, it dawns. What do I, what do I think about when I'm dawning of, of Christ? I'm thinking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The light that we thought was going to be put out, that Satan thought was going to be destroyed, was raised from the dead. Why? So that we, you and I, might be able to understand that sin and death is not the end. That death is not what conquers us. But life is what conquers us. Where is life found? It's found in the life 
light of Christ. That's where we find redemption. Second word that we find in this passage that I want us to point to today is the word rejoicing. So look at verse 3, and we find the word rejoicing. We are rejoicing, he tells us, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They have increased their joy, this joy that comes, this joy that happens. Now, he tells us in this, in verse 3, you have enlarged the nation, right? Now, Israel thought this was about them. They thought Hezekiah was going to be put in as their new king and things were going to be fine and they were going to rejoice in this new king. Isaiah steps into the future and he says, no, it's not just your nation, it's the enlarging of the nations. All nations are going to be presented to Christ. All nations are going to stand before the throne of God. It's not just going to be Israel, but Christ's delight has come for all nations, the enlarging of what's going to happen. And Jesus, of course, said in his very last conversation with the disciples that you're going to all the nations preaching and teaching and baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does he get that? He gets that from Isaiah's prophecy that says the nations are going to be enlarged and inside this the joy is going to be increased. Their increasing joy is going to happen. So rejoicing becomes a part of our life. Look further down in verse 3. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. He gives us two illustrations for rejoicing, very easy illustrations. He says it's rejoicing when the harvest is complete. Some of you in this room are farmers. You know how to plant in the spring. You know how to cultivate in the spring. You pray for the right amount of rain at the right time. You pray for the right amount of sunshine at the right time. But in the fall, at the right moment, you know as a farmer when harvest time is complete, when you have to be about it. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the joy of the harvest. When the harvest is over, when things are done, when you have everything complete, then you're able to rejoice. That's what the light is. Jesus is the complete one. He has completed this redemption. And so out of our redemption, we get to be people who are rejoicing inside that. Two illustrations, one about the harvest. The other he gives us about a battlefield, right? These warriors here in the last part of verse 3, he says, "...and men rejoicing because they are dividing their plunder." What's happened? They have gone to battle, they have fought the battle, they have won the battle, and there are rewards in the battle. And you rejoice when you have the rewards. So it would be clear what Isaiah is saying to us when we look back because of Jesus, and we begin to recognize that as followers of Christ, even in the worst of times, even when disease has us or divorce has us or difficulties has us, even in the worst of times, there's rejoicing that comes out of our life. Why? Because Jesus has done the work as the light to bring redemption. And because redemption is in our lives, because we have been redeemed by the Savior, we rejoice because of it. And the work has been completed. The harvest is over. The battle has been won. Rejoicing takes place. The third word is the word rescuing. It's not just about redemption and just about rejoicing, but it gives us in this passage an understanding of rescuing. We are being rescued by the light. 
He tells us in verse 4, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, here we have a reference going back to Judges chapter 6 and the story of Gideon. When Gideon goes out to fight the battle for the Lord, for the Philistines, and he takes just the right amount of people, just the right amount of soldiers that God told him to take. So he goes out and he rescues the nation of Israel. He gives us three phrases in this verse that I want you to look at, three important things about this rescue that he has for you. First of all, he tells us that we have defeated, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. So there's this burden of yoke, this yoke burden that is on us, on the people, right? Now it's on, uh, your translation might say his yoke, but the idea here is the people have a yoke upon them. Now the idea of a yoke is exactly what you recognize. It's, a, it's an old word that we refer to what harnesses an oxen or a cow, right? You've seen that. You've been somewhere where there's a a yoke or maybe you've been to a harvest festival and you've seen uh, oxen plowing with this yoke around their neck. It, It completely controls them, right? So here Isaiah is saying it's completely controlling you. Whatever it is, Whatever burden you have, and that's the word he uses here, this, this shattering, shattering of, the, of the ox yoke that has the burden upon you. It's weighing you down is what he tells us in this passage. He helps us to know this, the yoke that burdens you, that, that, that's around your neck, that's controlling you. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if it's finances. I don't know if it's family. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's struggles. I don't know if it's sin in your life. I don't know what that is. But it tells us, Isaiah says, the light is going to shatter that for you. And what does it mean? That that yoke of burden upon your life, when the light comes into your life, it's broken. It's broken apart. That's what the word used here in this text. It's a, it's a shattering, it's a breaking apart of the yoke. You are no longer in bondage to whatever that might be. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to go away. It doesn't mean it's going to go easier. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. We know that. We know we live in a sinful, broken world, but what he is talking about here is delivering us from our burdens in life. He gives us freedom in life. That is great news for the light. The light that is promised, the light of Jesus delivers you from those burdens. The second phrase that he uses is the bar or the staff or the rod uh, across their shoulders. The idea here is a bar. The idea here is a soldier who has captured someone, and you've seen that on TV probably in some movie where they've got the bar between them. They have their arms on it. They are, they are again, they are uh, in bondage to this thing. And here he says that bar is going to be broken, and you're going to have freedom inside that. And when I read that, my, my mind went to Jesus And the fact that the bar that he had on his shoulders was the cross that took my sin upon his shoulders, that he was willing to die on the bar, the cross, on his shoulders so that I might have life. Was Isaiah even thinking that direction? Well, I don't know. 
But I do know that the Holy Spirit was in the writing of his word and the Holy Spirit was in the part of all that God was doing and God was getting us ready to understand that the light is in Christ. And this bar that's on our lives is a bar that delivers us from our sin because that's what Jesus does. He, he, breaks, he breaks the bondage of sin in our lives. Gives us hope for the future. That's the third thing that he tells us, the rod of their oppressor. A rod that he's talking about here is, is really a rod that you beat someone with. It's that kind of rod. You know, there's a, a Proverbs that says, uh, uh, spare the rod and spoil a child. I, well, I won't try to interpret that for you. I'll, I'll leave that to you as a parent to do. But that's the rod that he's talking about. It's a rod that's used to beat someone. It's a rod that's used to whip someone into shape. And here he says he, he shatters, he breaks the rod of the oppressor. Who is the oppressor? Well, it's the evil one, right? It's Satan who tries to get in everything you are doing. The Bible teaches us that. He's like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking who he's going to devour. Here, here Isaiah, who is prophesying, says in the prophecy, the prophesying is that this, this, this light is going to break the rod of the oppressor. He's talking about the victory that's in Christ. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood. Now, this is an interesting verse, right? Every warrior's boat used in battle, boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why in the world would a soldier take off his boots and burn them? Why in the world would a soldier take off his garments and burn them? They, they've been in the battle. So why is he going to burn them? Only one reason. The battle's over. It's done. It's finished. There is no more fighting. There is no more battle that has to occur. That is the greatest news that we can hear. That the light that's coming that Isaiah is prophesying about is the one that's going to finish the work. The battle is over. We do not have to fight the battle anymore because Christ has already won the battle for us. He has broken the rod. He has shattered the staff. He has been able to do these things. The battle is, the battle is won. Take off your boots. Take off your garments. Quit trying to fight it on your own. That's what Isaiah teaches us. I love that word because it helps us so much, that word rescuing us. The last word I want us to see today is the word representing. Because here, Isaiah has walked through this prophecy. He has talked about redemption coming in the light. He has talked about the whole understanding that as redemption comes, it's moving to a place of rejoicing because we are being rescued. How is that going to occur? Well, it's going to occur because there's one who is representing us. And he declares to us who this one is. He first of all tells us in verse 6, for to us a child is born, right? So immediately he, he helps us to understand that this is a man, this is a person. Remember that Jesus is called the son of man? And then he goes to the next phrase, he said, for unto us a son is given. Who is the son? This is the son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So there, again, pointing to Jesus, and the government will be up on his shoulders, and he will be called, here he is, here's the one that represents us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. How many times have we said those words at Christmas? How many times have we sang those 
listen to them in the hallelujah chorus. What do they mean to us? He says, first of all, he will be called a wonderful counselor. The word actually in the Hebrew Old Testament is a wonder of a counselor, which means that this counselor has all wisdom. Okay, He is wonder in the fact that he has everything he needs. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't even want your help. There is no advice that you can give to this counselor because he knows all things. He is wonderful in everything that he knows because he is a wonder of a counselor. He knows your problems. He knows your struggles. He knows your darkness. He knows your worst time. And he, because he is a wonderful counselor, has the advice and the plan for you. That's what he tells us in this passage. He is a wonder of a counselor. He is marvelous. This word wonder has the whole connotation of being, being beyond the normal. He is beyond the normal. So when we are lacking things, oftentimes we go to self-help books, we go to other people, yet Isaiah says the wonder of the counselor is in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the light. We find the most information about Christ in the Bible, his word. So the place we go for counseling, or it should be the place, is first and foremost to the word of God. That gives us the wonder of the counselor. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need those things about us because he is the wonder of a counselor for you. That's what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about the light of his people who need the light. He's talking about us who need Jesus. He goes on to say, not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he is a mighty God. The word mighty here, the word God is uh, a little different in the Old Testament usage here. It really has to do with God as a warrior. It has to do with the power of God, the faithfulness of this mighty warrior. Who is this son? Who is this child who is born? He is a wonder of a counselor, but he is also powerful. He is so powerful and he is so faithful that because he had, now get this, because he has the right guidance for you and the right plan for you and the right, the right things that you need in your life, he has got the power to carry it out for you. That's the amazing thing, right? We don't have to do it on our own. The battle has been won. We don't have to do it and come up with new ideas. Why? Because he's a wonder of a counselor and he has the power to do it. He has the faithfulness to do it in your life. He is that kind of a child. He is that kind of son. He is the light. He is Jesus. And if he is a wonder of a counselor, then he is also this mighty warrior for you, fighting the battle for you. Then the next phrase that he uses, he says he's a, he's a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty warrior. He's a mighty God. And then he says he is the everlasting father. Now, in this word, it's not so much about position of being a father. It's not that Jesus was in the position of being the father. The word that's used in this passage is more about the character of a father. What are the characteristics of a godly father? They're a godly father who's going to be a person who's going to, be, who's going to care about his family, care about his children, that godly father is going to have the characteristics of, of compassion, of, of love, of self-sacrificing, all the things that we can think of, right? Of a godly father. Now, I don't mean to say that all of us are godly fathers and all of us do that right. But he's given us the example of the perfect 
character of a godly father in our life. And that's the light that's dawning. That's the light of who Jesus is. Now, again, put all these together, right? So this wonder of a counselor who has all the knowledge of all wisdom of all things and has all the power to pull it off. He has all the authority to do what he wants to do in your life, right? He has so much compassion and love for you that he wants what is best for your life. His whole desire is for you. His His whole everything is so that you might grow in him. You might have redemption in him. You might be rescued by him. You might have the rejoicing in him. And not only does he know all those things, he has the power to do all those things, and he has your best interest at his heart. Man, No wonder this light that's dawning that Isaiah is prophesying about. No wonder we can talk about the light of the world. And then he uses the fourth word. He says he is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. The the word that he uses here, this phrase has the, the idea of completion, of wholeness. Everything we need to give us what we need for eternity, and it has that as its destination. It has the understanding that this prince of peace has done all the work to do all the completion so that we might understand with all of his knowledge, with all of his power, with everything he is, with all of his character as a father who has great compassion, all those things are given to us in this light in order to bring completion, in order to bring wholeness, in order to bring fullness into our lives. Isaiah prophesied many years ago in what was at the time some really difficult moments for the nation of Israel. And there are difficult moments that all of us go through. Christmas time, yeah, it can be the best of times. But it can also be hard. So our role... Our opportunity is to be able to live out this light who is in our life in such a way that our friends, our coworkers, our families at our gatherings, people that we're around every day begin to see this light. They begin to recognize the light of the world that has dawned, not just for us as followers of the light, but for all peoples. Go back with me to that second verse again. The people, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living, dwelling in the land of the shadow of death or in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah was prophesying about the coming of the light. We proclaim that Jesus is the light because he proclaimed himself that and rose from the dead after he had died on the cross for the sacrifice for our sins. And you and I, we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate not just a baby in a manger and the incarnation, which is vitally important, of all great importance, but we get to celebrate that the light has dawned, that the time has come, that we get to see that the battle is over, that he is your wonder of a counselor for you. He is there for you, that he has the power to do what he says he wants to do because he is the mighty, mighty God. That's 
who he is. And because he is that, and because he is the father that has so much compassion on us, he loves you so very much that he brings fullness and completion. That's a word for you today. But it also may be a word for a family member or a friend or someone that you get to tell about the light that has dawned.